1: Extra Time! Kia ora, tulo falava and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Joe Porter. Well, it's said there are only two kinds of coaches, those who have been sacked and those who are waiting to be sacked. But what does it take to be a coach in the New Zealand professional environment? The Warriors are on the hunt for a new long term replacement after Stephen Kearney departed the Mount Smart Club, the 10th coach in the club's 25 year history. Much has been made on how the new appointee needs to understand Māori and Pacifica culture and players who make up a large part of not only the Warriors but all of our professional sports teams. Although Māori and Pacifica representation in coaching positions is still very limited. So what is it that coaches need to learn and be aware of? What are the challenges in bringing different ethnicities together and cultures and where are we getting things right and where do we need to improve? I'm joined on the programme today by former All Black Tamati e. Ellison who is a coach with the Kanaloa Hawaii Major League Rugby side which is also trying to join a revamped super rugby competition. Netball New Zealand's National Coaching Development Manager Tanya Korodia. Dr. Sarah Kion, an academic at AUT in Auckland and who has researched the cultural differences in coaching, and former Kiwis and Warriors coach Frank Endicott. Dr. Kion, we'll start with you. You've conducted research related to athlete welfare and well-being with Māori and Pacifica. What were your insights during that?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Um You know, for Māori and Pacifica, it really comes down to relationship. And so when I do uh, talk about coaching practices, um, I challenge coaches to see the, uh, if they can, the high-performance environment as a relational space, um, drawing upon some cultural values and belief systems. So for Māori and Pacifica, it's not just the messaging that they're hearing, but the messaging that they're feeling that makes a difference in terms of that relational space or that ability to perform for the coach and the team.
1: I guess, how does a coach then take some of that understanding on board and implement it in a way that is inclusive and altruistic?
2: Yeah, it starts by being willing, um, in my opinion, and being willing to listen to others, um, the type of team that they have around them. So. Like you mentioned in your intro, not many Māori and Pacifica uh, in the coaching space, but there are Māori and Pacifica in the support space. So leaning upon those players, uh, those staff members, leaning upon your senior leadership team to understand the practical implications um, that, can, uh, that they can implement uh, when designing uh, the session plan or the, the game plan for the week.
1: So clearly, obviously, just having more representation of, of Māori and Pasifika is, is key, in essence. Uh, but Tamati, as a Māori player, what have you experienced that helped you as a person, as an athlete, from coaches? And on the flip side, has there ever been a lack of cultural understanding that hindered, I guess, your progress or ability to perform? And I guess what has that taught you as you now really kick off your coaching career?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, it, if there was a lack of cultural understanding. I remember I had I had three years up um, in Melbourne with the Rebels. Um, and you know, that that can be quite different. Um but that, but I probably did feel that when I played for New Zealand Māori or I played under Jamie Joseph, both here in Wellington and, and with the Highlanders, um, that was a, a better fit for me. Um I think he probably just empathetic to um to probably the the, the story behind Māori MPI and PI players and that's something that only comes from potentially having lived um, that life yourself. Um, otherwise, as was mentioned at, at the top there, um, you, you're going to have to work to try and build those relationships and, and start l- doing a bit of um, learning yourself into the, the backgrounds of, of others.
1: So as a coach, I guess, do you think that helps you, having had, the, you know, coming from a background that others have, you gives you, you know, a, a step up in that point so you can actually come in with much more of an understanding from the get-go?
0: Um, I'd I hope so, and you'd have to ask the players in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I, I mean, one thing, having lived in Japan for 10 years and played in Australia for three and then moved around New Zealand, I've definitely seen my fair share of, of different coaches and and how they've done it. Um, I've been lucky to have very good coaches. At the same time, we'll, we'll try and probably kind of weave my own um, way of, of doing things. But as I said, you, you'd have to ask the, the players in, in a few years' time.
1: Tanya, you've been involved in high-level and youth netball and development and growing the game and all sorts of roles along those lines for a long time now. What, what has made netball an attractive sport for teenage Māori and Pacifica, and what is needed to help, so I guess, keep those playing numbers coming into the sport, keeping the playing numbers staying in the sport and as far as the coaches go, what is the key to, I guess, helping them understand different people's backgrounds and cultures to, I guess, make sure those players remain in the sport and do keep coming in?
3: I think uh, it's an organisation-wide or a sport-wide um, challenge, I guess, and it's an ongoing challenge. And I don't think that we can sit on our laurels at all. I don't think we can be complacent. I think it's a constant work on. And I think um, from a sporting uh, point of view, I think it's it, it's starting from there, starting from the top um, and that culture of um, and I agree with the other people that have spoken is um, having that element of um, vision, I guess, where people can be free to express themselves in a way that's going to work for them. I guess the challenge for a coach, is understanding an open landscape and what that might create and what the potential might be in that. So I don't think it's an easy answer, and I think any sport across the board um, needs to look very carefully at what they believe in in the overall vision and then how to create that. So I don't think it's an easy question.
1: Indeed. And Frank, you've been a coach of rugby league at the top level for many, many, many years. And obviously rugby league in New Zealand in particular is made up largely or a lot of Pacifica and Maori players. Through your time, have you noticed differences in the way you've engaged with certain players from certain cultures or different cultures and how that's either helped or hindered? And and I guess, how did you sort of learn to build an understanding of all that and the way that you made your teams cohesive and, um, you know, heading in the right direction?
4: Yeah, good morning, Joe. Well, I believe it's all, all about man management, to be honest. I think that's the most important thing in a coach's repertoire. Uh, it's not the message you deliver, it's how you deliver the message to them. Um, and I can honestly say that race has never come into it when I've when I coach when I've ever coached a player. I look at the person, I find out what makes that player tick to get the most out of them. And uh, some players, we all know some players you can talk tough to and some you just need to put your arm around the shoulder. You, you need to understand their their culture, their background um, as a person. Um, and sometimes a coach, it's not just what you do on the field. Um, at coaching and games, you become a friend to the player, a psychologist, a mentor, and sometimes even a marriage guidance counsellor. So, you know, I know I've mediated in a number of disputes between um, players and families, um, but I've always found the Pacific Island to marry players, they love to enjoy their footy. So you need to be aware as a coach not to overcomplicate and, and, and overstructure the uh, the players. Um, everyone needs discipline, you can't play any top sport without discipline, but you've got to be careful not to become a schoolmaster, you need to be a little bit more flexible.
1: And like you said, understanding the person I guess in essence means understanding their culture and their background too, like you said, the the importance of family or the some particular issues that might be arising at home, so in, in essence what you're saying is that, isn't it, is understanding their culture in a way?
4: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think in New Zealand we do. Um, uh, and it's just you know it's just a matter of really getting to know the player um, and how to handle that player. Um, that's the key to it. That's the key to getting the best out
1: of them. And how do you think it would you know would it be beneficial, of course, for coaches, especially in, in the modern era, to have some sort of understanding? Are, are there people do you think out there and organisations that they can go to 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 gain a, a closer understanding and empathy for other cultures that would then increase and enhance their ability as a coach to get the message across, like you said?
4: Well, I think it it, it comes naturally. Because we live in New Zealand, we understand the culture here. If you get an Australian coach come over, uh, he doesn't really understand the nitty-gritty of the culture. Uh, So he always finds it tougher. And um, I've seen this from first-hand from Australian coaches, where they... uh, you know the players don't enjoy their footy, and uh, because of the uh, the way he's he's coaching them, um, you know it, it's just a different culture. Um, so I, that's why I'm all for New Zealand coaches coming through the system, and um, and getting to the top.
1: Dr. Keown, there's some obvious, uh, I guess, points you've highlighted in your research in terms of acknowledging the diversity, you put, for example, here, uh, there could be space offered for athletes to engage in prayer, devotion, scripture if they're religious. Uh, and those are sort of things that I guess we have seen in the past when we have had different religions on teams. People have been allowed space to to, uh, to make sure that they can can get that done. only Bill Williams and some of the other Muslim players within the All Blacks environment is the most recent one I can think of. Uh, but w- what are some of the other things that you think uh, you know coaches need to be aware of that are slightly, you know, Uh, more subtle than just you know a a really strong connection with family and other things obviously there must be subtle differences between Samoa and Tong and other Cook Island uh, cultures of course. Yeah
2: exactly that's what I wanted to point out is that we may have shared values or similar practices but there are um, differences between and within the groups Um, so it's really going back to what everyone said getting to know and understand the players but Uh, from a Pacifica point of view, a Māori point of view, when you understand the play, you're essentially getting to understand the whānau. And so you have to go a bit deeper than just stopping at the player and what makes them tick. Um, you have to understand that when they go home, they go home to a whānau, and it may not just be the whānau that's within their home. It's wider than that for some of them. And so it's just understanding, okay, what are some practices that this family engages in that um, is important to them, which may impact how they perform or if they even show up for training. And so is, the, is there space um, or is that relationship between the coach and the athlete um, deep enough where there's an understanding that things happen in, and this is a cultural, um, from a cultural point of view and how can the coach and athlete work together to manage that because most times our Māori and Pacifica are probably more um, are a little bit uh, shy to bring that up for repercussions that it might impact their selection on game day.
1: Tamati, in Japan there's obviously a very, very sort of hierarchical culture in terms of the sense that you, you're very respectful of your elders and those above you and you don't typically question uh, you know the decisions made above you in the food chain, so to speak. Are there any similarities in, in Maori culture, and is it, will that influence, I guess, your approach to the way you, you, you coach Kana Laura and the, the coming together of the various Pacifica cultures there?
0: I think yeah. I mean, every every culture has their unique differences. Japan especially, and it was, it was great to stay up there and and learn different pieces. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we'll definitely try and do. Um, is make sure we we we're vulnerable ourselves as coaches, so we're curious as well because um, that that opens us up and 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 shows players and or management that we're willing to learn as well. Um, I think it's if it's all one-way traffic, that, that's when the blocks can come up and and people lose trust in you. So it's the same here with with Wellington and, and the Lions at the moment. Important that we that we lead to our actions and. and if we want people to open up, um, you know, we need to be curious as well and vulnerable as opposed to, you know, being the coach or the parent who has all the answers because we kind of know how that turns out.
1: And I guess you you would have experienced firsthand some of the frustration that uh, New Zealand players and coaches have in Japan with players not showing, or wanting to take initiative for fear of, like you say, uh, upsetting their, their coaches, their elders, so to speak. I mean, is there any element of that? Do you think within New Zealand rugby, where are there players that are, are are afraid? Do you think to question, whereas someone like you, Corey Jane, those those kind of a players, they're not. They want to question. They want to learn. They ask coaches things, and coaches expect that. However, if someone is afraid to do that, they might not know.
3: Yeah,
0: but as I, as I mentioned, like if as coaches we're we're not learning, and the environment hmm. isn't conducive, you know, and, and and open, then of course the players are going to treat us like like principals or yeah. You know, as as the, as the grumpy dad who I who I sometimes um, am referred to at home here with my five children, but um, that, that, that's important that we you know we're we're all growing, and if people see that, that's how the environment's driven. Yes, there'll be leaders and captains and other parts that kind of help direct the walker, but it's important that that we're also learning as as we're on this journey.
1: Dr. Kuhn and anyone else can jump in here. Too. I was just wondering what you think would be the best way to, of course, encourage more Māori and Pacifica uh, people into coaching positions rather than just athlete positions as well. How do we get more coaches and more representation at that level?
2: Yeah, I think Tanya touched on this. It's an organisational thing. Um, Organisations have to be willing to provide opportunities. Um, the way we go out, we recruit, it has to be shoulder tapped. To begin with, um, for Maori and Pacifica, we have to see us. We have to see us coaching. We have to see us mm. in the governance space. So it's hard to aspire for something if all we see is out. If we see us on the field as opposed to off the field. So I think what Tamati and um, the Kanaloa team are doing—that's an example of we see us in other spaces. Um, other than just on the field. So I think that's the first part is providing opportunities, going out and shoulder-tipping those with talent and then um, growing from there.
1: The visibility, like you say, of Māori and Pacifica people in those roles outside of just on the playing field must be, I guess, the, the would be possibly the biggest driver to, to seeing more numbers in that space.
3: true, um, I'll jump in here. Um, yes, very much so. And I think it's been a long time coming and was... Slowly starting to see. So, if you look at boards, if you look at um, interview panels, um, any sort of systems and structures whereby the the looking at working alongside coaches and bringing them into the fold, I think again, um, Māori and Pacifica, it makes it way easier if they can see one of their own sitting in any one of those decision making positions Um, uh, and I guess too setting an environment so if I look at a coach for example and they come into an interview um, and on the panel they don't see anyone they can relate with then it becomes a really challenging difficult place to be for a coach. Um, And I kind of think, again, I'll go back to my original point. Sport across the board really have to take a good look at uh, and challenge themselves as to what opportunities are open for coaches. And if we do have a number of coaches, then how are we supporting them to get better? Um, What sort of doors are being open and what are the support networks around that? So I think it's, again, it's a big beast to tackle in terms of understanding it. But I think there's layers of complexities that people can go back to their own sport and ask questions of themselves as to structurally, how is it set up so that it is more open and equitable for all peoples to be able to walk through that door from a coaching perspective. Yes,
1: yeah, so there's still a lot of change needed at the top, obviously, to help Facilitate that kind of change and something that we we as Pālangi Pakia journalists need to be aware of too.
2: Yeah, and I'd just add um, you know, the challenges that we've got plenty of people that have great um, skill set, that have great potential, um, the challenges uh, to provide those opportunities, as was mentioned, um, and so um, I would, uh, I guess put the weddle out to organisations to um, ensure that when they do um, recruit coaches or they do develop coaches, that coaches also, uh, that there's a buy-in for the well-being side, that it's not an ad hoc piece to, to um, performance, athlete performance and development, but that well-being is an embedded part of um, development, developing our athletes um, on the field as well as off the, off the field, because if we take care of that um, piece off the field, it should um, translate onto the field.
3: And if I, I can add one last thing, in terms of a high-performance coach, I think uh, for the coach themselves, I think it is about having a real clarity of purpose um, and I think that's the key and and everything else should fall into place but unless you've got that real clarity and vision of where you're going and you take people with you, um, it's going to be, you're going to be hitting brick walls. So, um, for any aspiring coach out there, I think actually it comes down to how clear you are, um, how much clarity you've got in all that you do.
4: Yeah, Frank here again, Joe, sorry to butt in, but I, I just going on what you said before about coaches getting the opportunity, it's all about opportunity in New Zealand and there's not a lot of opportunity. Uh, they should, every sport should have more pathways for the coaches to come through, and when they're coming through, I would always suggest they go with a senior coach as a mentor, like a buddy system, to help that coach through it, because it's not easy, and you need to have a long apprenticeship before you reach the top. You can't reach the top, because you're the best player in the world, doesn't mean to say you're going to be the best coach in the world. So uh, it's all about patience, doing your hard work, Getting someone on board that can mentor you, mentor you, and um, and you'll get there in the end.
1: We will move on to something more Warriors-focused now, Frank. Obviously, we we can't let you go, <laughs> former Warriors coach. And given what's going on uh, with them this season, obviously the sacking of Stephen Kearney, the latest coach to go. Players seem to really like him. He seemed to uh, you know be well-respected around lots of circles within rugby league, but he wasn't producing the results on the field alongside the players. Look, what is going wrong with the Warriors, a club that has a lot of talent but have underachieved for many years?
4: Well, I've said for a long time now, uh, Joe, that uh, it's, it's not a coaching problem. Um, you know, Stephen Kearney was a sacrifice, and uh, the new coach has gone in, Todd Payton, in the uh, interim, and um, he's still got the same players and getting the same results. So that didn't, that didn't work. Stephen should have stayed to the end of the year, at least. Um, I've always said the problem's a recruitment problem. Um, it's, you know, it's about talent, it's about picking players for the right positions, and I just don't think we've got that right over the last few years. Uh, when they get that right, um, they'll, they'll get the team going again. Uh, but they've just got to show more resolve, work for each other. It's not easy in that competition, believe me. Every game's a test match. So, you've got to be at your best every week. And, um, you know, they're, they're good for parts of the game, but they just can't finish it off over 80 minutes.
1: How hard is it going to be for them to find a top level coach, given the sort of the poison chalice that it seems to be at the moment?
4: Well, the first thing they've got to do is this is not going to happen overnight. You're going to need three to five years to get this really, get it, you know, to get the Warriors to the top. And believe me, we've got the ability to get there um, and to win a grand final. But they've just got to show more patience um, and not just sacking coaches all the time. That's not the answer to it. The answer is to the players and, and, and getting the right mix of players to get the result at the end of the day. Um, and we're not doing that.
1: Do you think the, the player agents, we've seen stories about them in recent uh, times, do you think they have too much power and perhaps some of these rosters have been manipulated the wrong way?
4: Well, look, I was a player agent in the NRL in, in England for 18 years. And I can tell you that uh, going to the... Uh, the meetings over there with them. I mean, there's there, there, there's some guys here that just shouldn't be in the game, to be honest. Um, and I say that you know really strongly. Um, they don't have the players um, at at heart. They're there for themselves. They're there for the dollar. Uh, and I've seen it so many times personally. Um, yeah, they've got too much say in the game, to be honest. Uh, uh, but you get a strong one who gets about eight or nine players, and the coach, and a club, and the CEO. And all of a sudden, there's a conflict of interest, isn't there? So, um, yeah, you've got to be very careful who you uh, buy your players from.
1: Thank you so much, everyone. I really, really appreciate it. Nami, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Tamati, Tanya, Dr Kion and Frank, it's been a pleasure. I've learnt a lot. So, yeah, thank you very, very much again for your time and I wish you all the best. Have a great weekend.
2: Thank
1: you, Joe.
0: You too. Awesome. Thank
4: you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone.
1: And that's extra time for this week. We will be back next week with another podcast. But until then, I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now.